Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Yes, yes? Yeah. All right. All right, I like it. All right, here, this is, uh, what do we call this, transparency in media? Yeah, I guess because honesty in media is taken. That's right. <laughs> All right, a couple of things. Let's, let's take care of this on the front end. Jackson, I was just saying to Jackson, I've got a call... At 2 p.m., it's 12.55. I could do the call here, but I probably want to do it at my house. So what that means is, I said to you, good news, there's a hard out, so I can't go off on one of my tangents. Mm -hmm. If I had to bet, I'm going to wind up going off on a tangent, and I'll do my call here. But I really don't want to do my call here. It's one of those calls that needs to be at home, not in the workplace. In my opinion. In my opinion. That's fair. But who knows? The other thing, I was going through my, Jackson, here, you want to see? Yeah. QFTA file oh, at yeah. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com, and there are a bunch of them, but I was saying to Jackson, I said, I don't really, and then I read through them, I go, they don't get my synapses firing, like a little piddle's half and half for a sports business newsletter. Newsletter. Right. But or a weekend wrap-up or a six-shooter. And that, that is why Balloon Party has gone from, well, it's a tough, it's a tough call here because Jackson's making more money doing Balloon Party than I am. You want transparency in media. Yeah, talk about that right there. <laughs> but that's fine. That's, that's a, but it's gone from when I was making more doing the show, not more than you, but more than I'm doing now, that it was something I dreaded to now I kind of look forward to it. Oh, it's fun. And then I look forward to doing QFTA, but I look forward to doing QFTA in part, well, because I can talk about anything. Anything. But usually, similar to you with Balloon Party, mm-hmm. there's a... There's somebody who lights the spark, and yep. then away we go, and God only knows where we're going. Yeah, it's actually funny you talk that, just brief aside. Matt what do we Rock- have here? When Matt Rocchio was filling in for me at the end of September, when I was out for Balloon Party, he was like, you know, usually I get through about all everything in the six-shooter when I do it with Tim. I was like, well, honestly, I think the better my questions are, the less amount of questions we go Indirect through. Indirect correlation, and you couldn't be more correct. And I love Rocchio. Uh and, and so this is, it's, it's not a shot at him. It's a compliment to you, but you get me. Right. Well, However, one can get something that is kind of, I don't even know what the right is, is so outside the lines. You get it. And so you know what, how to kind of get it going. Right. And so usually the audience also kind of gets me. Mm-hmm. 
may not like it, but they get it, and so they'll send in questions. And I mean, so these aren't. This isn't a shot at anybody. Okay. <laughs> But I'm just going to read what I've got. I'll just read through them. And All maybe right. maybe you'll get excited. You'll get I know you'll get excited about this, but it doesn't really I need something more than this. Can you talk in depth about both of your thoughts on the state of Mizzou? What you think the winning will lead to recruit-wise, the amazing recruiting in basketball, how long does this have to substation to keep people sustained probably to keep people talking about them and how amazing DRF has been for this school? Um I understand the question. My reaction to the question is they've beaten Kansas State and Kentucky. And while you and I, Jackson, mm-hmm. and hardcore Missouri fans are super excited about that, this is not something where the country's talking about Missouri football. No. Beat South Carolina and beat Georgia, and now you've gotten it going. Now everyone talks Now about you got everybody talking about you. That's when you got the Sports Illustrated cover of Mizzou, that's who, or yeah. whatever it is. That's... Right now, it's like, yeah, I mean, beating K-State, that was probably a 50-50 deal going in, and beating Kentucky, 40-60, 45-55, 50-50, 55-45, either way. None, none of, had they be, had, if they're undefeated, which they really could have been, certainly, I don't know if should have, but certainly could have, and I think they beat themselves more than they were beaten, but I also think Jaden Daniels, of course, played a role in it. Then I think, because they beat a blue blood, even if that blue blood may not be as good as they were thought to be going into the year because of their defense, then I think it's got more credibility. In Missouri circles right now, what we just talked about on Balloon Party, and I realize most of the people listening to this podcast right now um, may not even be familiar with what we talked about because they're listening to this at a different time than they would listen to Balloon Party, but you talked about how high you get with the highs and how low you get with the lows. Oh, yeah. And I am still, like, I, I could see them losing to South Carolina. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but I also could see him beating Georgia, and I feel like I've been saying that for a good long while, and that was pre-Brock Bowers' injury. So, um, with that said, to answer the question, it's a great time for a Missouri fan, but nationally, I don't think Missouri's done anything where people around the country are talking about Missouri. No, do you no. agree with that? No, yeah, I totally agree. Certainly on the football side, but the. The seeds have been planted for that national conversation to take place both in football and in basketball. But we had Kerry Davison, who wanted to come in at the start of Balloon Party today, who played at Illinois, and who was like, Mizzou fans are delusional. He goes, you talk about winning the Big 12 North, and you talk about winning the SEC in 13 or 14, but you won the division, you didn't win the game. Now, go out and win the rest of the games, and then you'll be in the college football playoff, which is true. Yep. They win the rest of the games, they'll be in the college football playoff. But that means beating South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas, and I would guess, God, I don't even know. I think I would say LSU, actually. Yeah, I think they have. I mean, Alabama is, like, waiting for someone to, like, knock I just, them yeah, off. I just feel like it's going to be LSU. Yeah. But but LSU's got to do it in Tuscaloosa. That's what they play. Either way, and I'd take Missouri's chances against LSU. I yeah. really would. And the second go? I didn't realize that LSU didn't have their running back against Florida State because I was trying to Logan figure out Diggs. how yeah. Logan Diggs didn't He's play in that game. Sick. And that that's – because I just am like, how in the hell is this Florida right. State team that I'm not really sold on? Right. How did they beat LSU and keep that offense in check like that? And there I finally – Finally, if I would have done just a lick of research, <laughs> but, but somehow it popped up and I read it, and now that's my form of research. 
anyway, I get what Gary's saying because a lot of Missouri fans feel this way. However, uh, I live on Power Mizzou, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived on the live chat while watching that Missouri-Kentucky first quarter. And for real, while I was watching that and then reading the comments, I'm like, this could become like a 50-3 to three kind of game and we're going to be revisiting Eli Drinkwitz's job stability. That's, yeah. that's the way that it was trending, which is why what wound up happening in Kentucky was so shocking. It goes from what could have been a loss that could have played a role in the end of his career in Columbia, for real, I really believe that was in play, which wasn't even on my mind, uh, to the best win, in my opinion, in his tenure at Missouri. And I don't even know what I would put, like, like I realize you'd say potentially K-State this year and, and LSU in right. 2020, but as far as emphatic on the road, that is, that's, that's it. Because I still think Kentucky is a good team. I just think Missouri might not necessarily be a good matchup for Kentucky like LSU might not be a great matchup for Missouri. Right. Well, I think Missouri might be a bad matchup for Georgia, which sounds insane, <laughs> I realize. But having a quarterback who can do what Jane Daniels does – uh, cheat code. That, that cheat, code. cheat code. So then along the lines with what he's going, he's talking basketball and he's talking recruiting because beating Utah State and getting worked by Princeton doesn't make people go, hmm, I wonder what's going on. But if you're paying close attention, and you have to be paying close attention to college basketball recruiting and what percentage of sports fans in the country do that. But you know that Dennis Gates has some big-time things going on for next year. This year, did they get any votes in the AP poll? No. No. Not, not to my knowledge. I don't think they got it. It just came out. Didn't it? Yeah, it just came out. They were not in the top 25. I didn't see if they got any votes. Do you think they go to Toyota this year? Yeah. Oh, look at you. Yeah, I have faith. But I was looking at Joey Lodorty's bracketology, and he doesn't even mention him. He doesn't mention him. He doesn't mention the kids at Columbia, Missouri. Let Lenardi sleep. Because if you said the same thing last year, I mean, they weren't. They were picked to be right. near the bottom. But they have Trent Pierce. Remember that name? He's sick. Freshman, true freshman. Aiden Shaw's put on weight. He's going to be really solid. Noah Carter, Nick Honor, and then John Tanjay from Colorado State. They'll ra- they'll rack it up. And I have faith in Gates' system that they're going to be in good shape. But I feel like on the recruiting thing, nowadays in college sports, what's arguably more important is the transfer portal. Yeah. And, you know, we saw that last year in college basketball with Missouri especially. I mean, I'd say Kobe Brown was obviously a four-year player, but Demoy Hodge, who's playing for the Lakers now, is – was a transfer. So the transfer portal is arguably more important because you're getting seasoned guys who are you know, 22 as opposed to being 18. Right. Um, but the national conversation, as Carrie has said, actually in these studios, the HT2 studios, mm, mm, is winning. Mm. Win, and then the conversation That's right. becomes about you. So, so this conversation, if somebody were to lo- listen to this podcast and Missouri loses to South Carolina, the, the equity, it's out the window just like that. Gone. Just Gone. like that. Gone. I think it's good that Missouri fans, a lot of Missouri fans, like the hardcores, I feel like kind of like, in my opinion, kind of jerked themselves off about the LSU game, mm-hmm. which was, ah, that wasn't that bad, house money, whatever. I don't see it that way, personally, but whatever. They got the win. If you give me a choice as far as the big picture in 2023 goes of beating LSU and beating Kentucky, I'd take the Kentucky one, even though I think the LSU one might be bigger for the perception of Missouri Kentucky is big for the SEC East. Yes. Because I don't go into this. It's like, oh, look, they got Missouri playing Miami in the Gator Bowl or something. It's like, fuck off. I don't care. Everything 
is out there for Missouri, and they're only one of like 20 teams where you can still say that. Yeah. Now, it might be a pipe dream. They're literally plus $30,000 to win the national championship. You put $100 on it, and Missouri wins the national championship, you get $30,000. But I'm just not, this is one of those years where you're not going, oh my God, this team looks absolutely invincible. I don't think you can say that about any team in college football at the moment. However, I can recall one of the Clemson championships, that team that wound up winning, and I think they lost early in the year, maybe to like Syracuse or something, uh, that was a totally different team than they were in September. So maybe Georgia, yeah, Brock Bowers or not, just goes, okay, now it's time. Now we're off. Then we play Florida. Then we play Missouri. Then we play Tennessee. Then we play Ole Miss. Or then we play Ole Miss, then Tennessee, whatever the hell it is. And they just go a skull fucking they which must. is which is they certainly could do. Yeah. But otherwise in the SEC, I don't see it. Missouri, if, if LSU is the second or third best team in the conference, then what does that say about Missouri? Because Missouri was right there with them. Yeah. But my point being, it goes. We talk, you talked about two highs with highs, two low with lows. Social media exacerbates reactions that when you present a, you know, I could see him losing to South Carolina. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I could see him beating Kentucky. Well, I just blew it against LSU, but that. That's that's what can happen, and that's that's of course real. So with that established, you beat South Carolina. You now have 13 days of at least locally hype for the matchup that I think will be a 2:30 game on CBS because CBS has a doubleheader that day. So I think they'll put Alabama hosting LSU at night and Missouri in Athens in the 2:30 slot. And Missouri, most likely, by the time that happens, assuming Georgia beats Florida and Missouri beats South Carolina, which are not locks. No, I'm curious what Georgia looks like. Yeah, uh, that you have Missouri probably with something around a number 15 in front of them by the time November 4th rolls around, and Georgia with a number one in front of them, most likely, and you get that chance, and you get that opportunity, and see what you can do without a quarterback running crazy, you know, like Jaden Daniels can, and without Brock Bowers, see what you can do in prime time on CBS against a team that's going to be on a 20-some-odd game winning streak. Yep, yeah. And then... That's when you... That is when you get equity, and then you got to follow it up by winning. They beat Oklahoma in 2010 in what I think is the biggest regular season win to beat a number one at that time, what was the BCS number one, and then they followed up how? By losing to Nebraska, yeah. and that wasn't a great Nebraska team the following week. And then they lost to a kind of a random Texas Tech team. Um, and, and so the equity goes away. So that's the thing. It's you got to do it every week, week in and week out, um, if it's going to be real. Now, with that said, Missouri is absolutely trending. Yeah. There's no question. What I am presenting is it can go super quickly. Oh, yeah. And so the South Carolina thing is this landmine. Cause I'm like, South Carolina is not as bad as their record. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it would be, I, I don't, I just don't know if they overlook anybody. I don't know what the fuck was going on in the first quarter at Kentucky, but, um, at the same time, I don't know what the fuck happened in the second, third and fourth quarters. Cause that was incredible. The first quarter against LSU and the second, third and fourth quarter, against Kentucky. That's up there as far as dominance against quality opposition. I'll take you back to 2007 against Nebraska. 
uh, which is going back, but that was just dominating, and I think that's when everybody goes, holy shit, this team might be for yeah, real. This is different, yeah, right. Yeah, right. so you've seen it be possible, but at the same time, you saw the second half against LSU, and you saw the first quarter in Kentucky. Same team, all within seven days of each other. Um, I said that question didn't stimulate me, and how long did <laughs> I just go? Uh, you basically went about 14 minutes perfect, on it. Perfect, So, Gary... I like the question. I just I need. How would you ask that question? I'm putting you on the spot for a creative behind the scenes of a little piddles half and half. The would, creation of, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is behind the scenes. I would reshape that question. Not like I would say. At what point does the national conversation begin, and how do you cultivate the national conversation? I would I would ask it more open ended as opposed to. More open-ended with, like, a, a direction as opposed to just kind of like, how does this Mizzou team do? And I'm not saying Gary did that to a certain extent, but, like, I would try to drive it more towards how does one get there? How do you get to that point? I like that. That's actually – that. I think that's the right answer, too. Right. Well, you know what you're doing. Well, I've had some experience. You have. Almost tw- two years now, balloon party. I wonder what they're going to do for us. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Maybe a, we can, like, browbeat them into a cake. I've seen it done. Uh, let's see. Here's the next one. Uh, this wasn't bad. It's just, I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe you would actually, it was a quick discussion, but I enjoyed your perspective on the JFK discussion. That was at the end of last Mm -hmm. week's QFTA. Uh, curious if you have read slash listened to the book confessions of an economic hitman by John Perkins. Have you Jackson? I haven't either. So then this question just dies (laughs) for me. It put a lot of global events in perspective, nothing surprising, but confirmed and demystified some conspiracies, your quick discussion led me to believe that you have read that or something similar. I have not. I don't even really know what I said about it. Uh, if you have read something else to lead to your perspective, would love a recommendation as I enjoyed Confessions. Thanks. That's from B.A. I don't really recall what... Uh... No, I, I mean, I just think we briefly touched on it. I, th- I, th- I think different. I talked about the end, the innocence, and how people went right. from accepting um, everything told to them by the government as truth dogma versus how Americans view what they're told by the government going forward after November 1963. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it was immediate November 1963, but certainly as the decade progressed with Vietnam, then with the reports on the Kennedy assassination, uh, Woodstock not necessarily being a government rebellion, but a rebellion uh, with the music and Watergate, and, I mean, you just you just never get back, and then you can take it to the Iran-Contra hearings and all the way on up through Clinton and Lewinsky and Bush v. Gore and September 11th and Iraq. I mean, it's and it's just like, yeah. like I said, I think I said this last week, it's like I'm doing We Didn't Start the Fire. Right. But but that, to me, is the moment. There is I, there, there was a tense moment that sometimes when I'm doing a sound story, people bring up uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Um, and in the nerves that they experienced. And if they were old enough, they remember that. But as far as the distrust of the government, my belief is it began in 1963. So maybe I have to read that confessions of an economic hitman. It's mm, a good title. Yeah, I do like that. But, uh, to answer B.S. question, neither one of us have read it. So I don't know what to do with it. I apologize. The question's a fair one. It just didn't work because we haven't read it. All right. What do we got? This one, oh, this one's a long one. It's about the baseball postseason. And he's proposing his thing. Getting into the baseball postseason and the format thing, I don't really, I don't, 
it's a problem, but I don't really know what the solution is. So it's tough to talk about it. And it depends on what you want. And so what people will, and I don't know why this is, I don't, I don't really follow why there are passionate, I don't know if they're passionate, I don't know if they're passionate defenders of baseball's postseason so much as they passionately don't like me, and this is something <laughs> I'm passionate about, and so therefore they're, they're going to take the other side because yeah. I rarely get passionate about something sports-related. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I hear you. And I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how can you look at the baseball postseason right now? Oh, this is the fucking tits. Like it's it's just <laughs> I don't know I, anyone it, who's it, saying yeah, that. Yeah, I mean Unless it's just you're in Philly. It's just it's my core issue with it is that you play this 162 game season, 162 games, so you can't draw a parallel with anything else. The closest you can get is NBA and NHL and that's with 82 games, half. which is half, <laughs> and they get days off way more than they're playing games over the course of October through the end of the regular season in April. Yeah. Baseball, it is day after day after day after day, off day, day after day after day. It is a, it's, it's not just the weather. There is a pace to it that then forces you to use your deeper parts of your roster. That's not what this is. I understand why they do it. I understand why they won't change it back. But my core issue is this is this is the one more so than any because of the number of games you play and the fashion with which you play them, i.e. back to 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 back, sometimes like 10 times in a row before an off day. And then when there is a big break, everybody's on the break, not a couple of teams, that it has rendered being successful in the regular season useless is too strong of a word, but... Certainly, it has lost its meaning, and now some are theorizing that it actually is a disadvantage because you have seen the number one and number two seeds in both leagues struggle. We won't see it in the National League this year, for certain. As Jackson and I are talking, the Phillies lead the Diamondbacks 1-0. And we could see, or no, we can't see it. We can't see it in the American League either. Last year, the Astros were the one, I believe. So you've had eight... And at most, one of the one or two seeds has gotten to the World Series. I'd be curious. I might do this. I'm so fucking busy that I can't imagine, but it just might be a way to like take my mind off all the stuff. Everything I'm working on is really the shows and then sound story. It's not like... But, I mean, sometimes I just need to like take time off, and this would actually... I'd be curious how often the wild card advance of the World Series in between 1996 and 2011. I think that's when it changed up because the Cardinals and Braves played in 2012 and that was a wild card game. That was different, yeah. Um, and how, how many times we're seeing the non-division winner appear in the LCS in the World Series. I would imagine, I, but this is still a small sample size. My, my, my issue isn't like I'm not shitting on the Rangers or shitting on the Phillies at all. I'm just saying they shouldn't even be in the tournament. Right. That's my premise. Right. That's no. my premise. And my reasoning is you played 162 games, and they weren't even close. Right. The Diamondbacks and Phillies weren't even close to the two teams that won their divisions, the, the Dodgers and the Braves. 14 games and 16 games, respectively. And those teams are at home. So then you sit there and go, what the fuck's the point of all of these games? And then all these games then lead to you playing the championship in the winter. The best way I can describe it is if you had, you know, 
a bunch of people run a marathon race. You take the top 12 people in the <laughs> marathon race, and then you say, okay, we're going to decide this actual race with a 100-meter sprint. Like, wow, it's nicely like, done. Thank you. It's like, it's like legit. And also the people who won the marathon can get, uh, can win by 15 minutes in the marathon, but then the hundred meter sprint, everyone starts the same way. It's, it's, that's nice. That yeah. actually is, I, cause I've kind of been looking for something to try to go. Yeah. I don't get it at the same time. If the Cardinals aren't in it, I kind of don't care. And on the other side of it, you know, the 2011 Cardinals wouldn't have existed without the wild card, but that's right. different than what you've got now. And I have to say, my opinion has changed because I thought, I thought this was going to be a great system because it really rewarded the regular season Mm -hmm. and having that time off. As it's turning out, it's not. It's a problem. The players are talking about it being a problem. They don't want to talk about it because who's going to talk about it? The teams that just got beat, and then it's going to look like they're bitching, and then somebody will just play better. And I understand it, but from a data standpoint, if it actually does, like, what are the chances of Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman going one for right. whatever the hell it was right. in the LDS against the Diamondbacks? You know, That's, I mean, it's yeah. just did that did that happen at all in any series of games over the course of April through the end of September? My yeah. guess is no. Not for a sustained amount of time. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. That in the, in the, so it's I don't know what I mean. I, I know what I would do, but it's also bad business for baseball because you're taking away revenue. And I would simply go to four divisions and I would say, winner of this division versus this division. It's what I grew up with. I realize that would be a bias. I don't know what I don't know what else to do unless you go back to the system that it was, which is the three division champions and the wild card and everybody's playing right away. That would work as well. Yeah. Um, One thing that I could think of that could actually solve two issues, but I, I don't know the numbers, so it's tough for me to say. But you can make the playoffs longer. Every series is a seven-game series. You can keep the same amount of teams that you have now. Every series is a seven-game series. You just reduce the regular season. So you can bolster up the playoffs with TV money because I'm assuming that companies want that playoff. The TV rights for the playoffs are much higher because they're all national games. And you would reduce the amount of regular season games. You still keep the same amount of teams, and seven-game series is probably going to be your best bet. But I don't even know if that works. It's the only thing I can think of. And I don't, th- I don't think it will. My, my main thing is if you're going to play a 162-game season, you can't have 12 teams in the postseason. And then Ken Rosenthal, who is observing, wrote a detailed piece about how they've got a problem with this format, and, they already, and two, they're not even two full years into it, and they're going, oh, fuck, right. we got a mess. Right. Uh, is to expand the playoffs even more with how many teams get in. That's coming. It just, I, I, I and for me individually, now if more people are loving it, if there truly are people, are like, yeah, this playoff situation's the tits. Okay, I don't believe they exist. But what it's doing, it's making me fall even more out of love with baseball because the Cardinals can have a ridiculous regular season and then it's just gone. Yeah. As I've presented to you before, you ask Cardinal fans about 2022. And they say, oh, yeah, swept by the Phillies. They were a great team in 2022. And they were swept by the sixth seed, who then went on to represent the National League, even though they weren't even close to being the best team over the course of the regular season. You go, well, I mean, they played well when it counted. I understand that. My point is they shouldn't have been playing in the first place. That's my premise. They shouldn't have been in the tournament in the first place. And it shouldn't be a fucking tournament. 
So it, 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 it bothers me because it lessens my interest in baseball. That is, my, that is why I get worked up about it. And I, and I, think, and I, think, it's a, I think it is a, I kind of thought this about uh, the, uh, the interleague play, and which may sound old school, but my reasoning for being, and this is, I'm 20 when this was going on, I'm like, yeah, interleague play might be great now, but you're, you're getting, and this is before you were even born, I mean, it probably sounds insane to you that the two leagues didn't play each other. No, it is wild. Yeah. And 162 games scheduled. But it was, it was, that's what made the World Series so great. And it also made the All-Star game great. But it wasn't as exciting as, say, when my parents were growing up, because of free agency, a guy could bounce in between the leagues. Right. But that was the time you got a chance to see. It's like, holy shit, the Cardinals are playing at the time. The Brewers are in the American League. The Cardinals are playing the Royals. Holy shit. The Cardinals are playing the Twins. Holy shit. The Cardinals might play the Yankees in the World Series. Fuck, unless you're old enough to remember 1964. Right. That just doesn't happen. Holy shit. And now it's like, oh, it, it, okay, fuck, they got to play the Royals again. Yeah, they're playing the Twins. Yeah. Oh, they get the chance to play the Yankees. It just, it does. So, softens it. Yeah, it just, uh, but I, I also, all the things that I am proposing, if I had equity in Major League Baseball, I would reject out of hand. So I realize it's bad business. I just think it has diluted the sport. So that's where I'm coming from. Kyle, I appreciate your long suggestion. Um, I'm not mocking it because of the length of the email. I'm just saying that um, my overall premise is if you're putting six teams or seven teams in the postseason, it you've diluted the regular season, and there's just there's just the, the, I, I can't see anything else other than that. I'm going to another one, Jackson. Let's do it. Not really. Hey Tim, not really a QFTA. Just wanted to drop you a note to say thank you. I've been one of the silent loyal listeners since the Ask Tony days, and picked up the podcast during the pandemic when I needed a distraction from the shit show my career became. You've entertained me for years, and I don't think people say it enough, so thank you. Cheers, MP. What a lovely... Nice, MP. What a lovely... That really isn't a QFTA, although you'll see, Jackson, I like to like corroborate in the off chance you think I'm just writing my own love letters. <laughs> I got uh, QFTA, yeah. it really isn't a QFTA, but that's a, it's a kind sentiment. Very kind. Thanks, uh, I appreciate it, Mark. Uh, I would say I've just kind of... Uh, surrounded myself with really entertaining people and gotten out of the way. But if you want to thank me, I'll, pre- I, I'll, take, I'll take your uh, thanks. But uh, it's certainly about the group, not any one individual, that's for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, this one is a, this is Corey G, and I'm a Corey G guy, longtime writer, but essentially his is a conspiracy theory that the Cardinals are intentionally doing a secret rebuild. Do you mm. want it? Mm. I don't know. I love a conspiracy theory. All right, I'm going to read it, and if you want to, you can press eject at any moment. All right. Longtime QFTA listener, first time submitter. I want to preface this with a few things. Number one, I don't necessarily believe this. It's more of a theory to explain what the Cardinals are doing, especially with Ali Marmol. Number two, there are so many things we don't know and likely will never know working for a big corporation, even in middle management. I know how many decisions have to be explained to people without the most important information being shared, making the explanation seem outrageous. 
That part couldn't agree more with. Yeah. And it's great awareness because that yeah, is got preface it with it. That is absolutely the case. So imagine what it's like for billions of dollars being involved in, in what is true and what is presented to the public versus what is really going on. All that said, here he goes. Let's put aside the Cardinals' last offseason. Still not sure what they were doing, signing Contreras and basically no one else, but I believe Mazalak felt they had a competitive team, meaning they thought it was good enough to make these new BSMLB playoffs. They quickly realized they did not have a good team, and with the aging players on the roster, Mazalak, along with ownership, believed an all-in rebuild makes sense. They also realized Marmol is not a good manager. But they also knew signaling an all-in rebuild would trigger this fan base like none other. So they kept losing and were then able to trade away a lot of players at the deadline, which most fans agreed with, but not Goldschmidt or Arnato. And this would signal an all-in true rebuild. Jump to now. With not even a hint of the manager being in trouble, their plan is to do very little this offseason. I guess this is his theory, is that mm. their plan is to do very little this offseason. Uh, knowing they will have a bad team again. How they will explain this, I don't know. Maybe their excuses include coming up short on free agents, team asking for way too much in trades. And when they start losing, they can fire Marmol in May, blame everything on him, and then say, well, look, this season is now gone, so we need to trade the big boys, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, so we can be competitive next year. Competitive next year was the theme of this season, remember. Skip to 2025, where they are better but not great, and they will say that's because Marmol, the common enemy in all this, put the Cardinals back a few years, and then in 2026, they are good again, thus going through a near-complete rebuild without ever actually saying they were. Kind of like the stock market, we don't know we are in a bear bull market until we are so deep into it, and then we are closer to getting out. In summary, the Cardinals are in true rebuild, and Marmol is safe now because he will be used as the sacrificial lamb next year to complete the rebuild. Again, not what I think is actually happening, but would love your thoughts on this admittedly half-cocked theory. That's from Corey G. I have to tell you, I read it when it got when he sent it to me, and I was like, eh. And then as I read it, I'm like, eh, I kind of see where he's coming from on that. Uh, I don't think, I, here's my reason why I'm going to just say out of hand, I don't believe that's the case. I believe that Bill DeWitt, at the age of, in his 80s, mm-hmm. wants to win another world championship and does not, in his 80s, want to go, well, let's scrap it, and then... I just don't think that's how he's programmed. I think he's programmed, because it's worked for him, that we can be competitive year in and year out, as if you can decide, and they've just been able to do it, but I don't think it's been necessarily their choosing, because I'm sure other teams thought they were going to be competitive, like the Cardinals this year, and then weren't, Padres, Mets. Um, And then also... um, I just I, I don't I don't think that's the the way that this franchise would operate is that we're going to essentially toss aside two or three years and then re reconvene to try and win. Um, one of the things that I I think and listen I mean I guess if they sign Nola and Montgomery they're going to have a hell of a chance. Just I'm using an example. Sonny Gray keeps getting attached to the Cardinals. The Cardinals are never the ones saying this. It's like somebody tweets it, and then then it becomes truth on Twitter. The Cardinals are going hard after Sonny Gray. I mean, John Mazalak does not show his hand. So it just becomes social media reconfirming what somebody else initially theorized. So with that all said, personally, I wish they would have traded Nolan Arnato and Paul Goldschmidt. Personally. And my reasoning is, is because 
I don't think they are close to winning a World Series. And I don't think allocating what would wind up being hundreds of millions of dollars to whoever you'd want to choose, Nola, Gray, Nola Montgomery, I don't think they're all of a sudden then a World Series contender. Could they be? Of course they could. Missouri beat Georgia and run the table? Of course they can. But what percentages would you put it on? That's where I'm operating from. And the issue, and you go, well, shit, then take your shot. I understand. But the problem is you pay for that on the back end of it. That's my issue with the Wilson Contreras deal. I have nothing against Wilson Contreras. I've somehow become the poster boy for being anti-Wilson Contreras. It's nothing against Wilson Contreras. It's a bad deal, and I'm anti-bad business. You don't like Wilson Contreras now, whether you're a fan or the Cardinals not liking him at catcher. Imagine how you're going to feel in four years when you're paying him even more money and he's a DH, or even this year when he's a DH, or maybe a corner outfielder, as Brad Thompson said. And so Aaron Nola, if this is your chance... Well, what do you, I mean, I, anything I say is a total guess, but Aaron Nola is going to make an absurd amount of money, especially if the Phillies keep going. Right. Jordan Montgomery is going to make an absurd amount of money, way more than I'm sure the Yankees ever thought was possible, especially if the Rangers keep going. And then the Cardinals are playing at the, paying at the top of market, and I guess to try to maximize the Goldschmidt Arenado window, but the, re- the realization is it's closing. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's 36, and he's in his last year. And what are you going to do, extend it? I just, like, it's yeah. just, it's bad business. And why the Arenado thing intrigues me, and I, I, it's not like I was adamant at the time. I was adamant I would like to see him trade Goldschmidt at the time, is if the Dodgers truly were, as the Los Angeles Times reported, but 90% of people in St. Louis disbelieved or somehow discredited the reporter in really odd 48 hours in St. Louis when that was reported, if the Dodgers really wanted him, and the Dodgers are flush with young pitching, it's a perfect match because that's how you get it back. If you go all in on starting pitching, and the Cardinals aren't just a, like a Scherzer in 2014 away, and you miss, and plus you know you're paying for some bad years down the line at the end of the contract, it can hamstring your franchise for years and years and years. And it's just not the way the Cardinals have operated. They really haven't had albatross contracts. Yeah, they've had bad ones. Cecil, Leak, Fowler, Tino Martinez. I feel like I'm missing obvious ones. Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller. Um, but they, they haven't, like, been to the point where you go, oh, my God. And I kind of worry that's what the Contreras one's going to wind up being. Could be. Not because he can't hit, but because you signed him to be catcher, and he's not your catcher. I mean, that's a... That's a big thing, and I don't understand how that doesn't get more attention. And then, like, I get that I get pushed back on. Like, why do you hate the contrast? Because you signed the priority is a catcher. You signed a DH slash corner outfielder yeah. who's in his mid 30s and, and late 30s by the time he's done. Like, right. what the fuck? It's t- and you overpaid. That's the key. Holy shit. And I worry that it's going to impact him. But Contreras, if they hit the lottery on the pitching this offseason, would certainly be a huge asset offensively with Goldschmidt and Arenado next year. It's just like you're you're putting your chips in all in the middle on like something that you're going to hit on. I don't even know. 10% of the time, maybe? 10. Yeah, I was about to say 10. 
but then Goldschmidt and Arenado are eventually gone or not the same guys, and then you've got Nola and the back end of his career. Right. You're paying like three guys a ridiculous amount of money who are no longer valuable. I just, so I kind of, I, Corey G's theory, which I don't believe, and he doesn't believe either, but I kind of wouldn't mind that because I think that would mean the Cardinals are closer to winning worlds. Let me put it this way. The Blues, who everybody kind of accepts, aren't going to be competitive this year, even though as Jackson and I are sitting here, they've got three or four possible points. But I don't think people are going, maybe they're going to win the Cup. I think the Blues are closer to a Stanley Cup at the moment than the Cardinals are to a World Series. Because in order to win in these sports economics, you can't, even if you're the Yankees, you can't just go, okay, we're just going to go buy it. The reason why the Dodgers are in there year in and year out, and then also the Astros, is because they keep producing players from their own system, and then they supplement it with the outside pieces, whether that be a free agent or a trade acquisition that they wind up locking up or they bring Justin Verlander back. The Dodgers are flush with young pitching, and they still had an incredible year, even though their pitching staff was wiped out by injuries this year. Holy shit. That's not what the Cardinals have. The Cardinals are not close with pitching. And you can say they need three pitchers. That means you're counting on Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz. This isn't close. Look at who's advancing in the playoffs. These are teams that are getting two top two starters dealing right now. We saw it in St. Louis last year with Nolan Wheeler. We saw the guy in St. Louis for a year in Jordan Montgomery and uh, Nathan Alvaldi with the Rangers. You got to have kind of those killers in the postseason, but you got to have depth in the regular season. The Cardinals don't have either. Right, that's neither of them. And so I just, I just, I think, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, yeah, we got to take a step back. But it's just not what they've done in the Dewitt era. And so I really think they've backed themselves into a corner. Of this we're returning to contention this this se- this upcoming season. Okay, you can say it, but shit, people are going to get a chance to see what you do. Right. And then if you want to adhere to that, that means you're going to be overpaying for one of these guys. Either the Cy Young winner in San Diego, most like Cy Young winner in Blake Snell, or Aaron Nola, who could wind up p- starting his team to the the World Series. Right, the darling. Holy shit. Right. So... I don't know. I just I don't know if there's ever upside in like going into like, hey, we're gonna do. Th-. I don't know. I I guess it's about attendance and and buzz, but I think this is a real precarious time for the Cardinals because I think I think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. My reason is if they do go out and and lock in a couple of big time free agent starters, they may be able to win the National League Central. I wouldn't put it past them. It's just going to be really difficult to have that kind of payoff. Uh, with a championship, and then if it doesn't, now you are now, you didn't get there, and you now have these guys who are in their 30s, and you're not getting NOLA for like a two- or three-year deal. No. And then if they don't do it, the fan base, which is already up in arms, is going to go, what the fuck? Right. They kind of can't win. I'm saying it, man. Unless I don't even know like what situation you could do. Besides starting, like, signing guys who are, like, not Nola and Snell or Sonny Gray, but then people will still be, like, you just can't win. It's uh, it, it, And that's why I just don't – I don't get what they're doing. I don't get what they're doing. I don't get what they were doing. I really don't get what they were doing last year with identify. And it's not about Contreras. Like, why do you have to go get a catcher? Right. What the fuck is that about? Right. 
Catcher's yeah. kind of been a non, like offensively, certainly. Like yeah, that. I mean, they loved Sean Murphy. They didn't love Wilson Contreras. They had to be sold on Wilson Contreras, and he gave an elevator pitch, and then they're like, wow, this guy really wants to play for the Cardinals. Yeah. fucking cares? I really want to play money. for the Cardinals. Yeah. I don't know, Jackson. I think it is going to be... It's a tough spot because I'm like, I'd be excited. It's like when the stand thing, I know you weren't on the show at the time. I remember saying it. And there's kind of like some revisionist history, but I'm like, yeah, the stand thing would be exciting. But Jesus, boy, you are, you are all in on a guy who I know he's killing it this year, but look at his history. It isn't great. Injury-wise, health-wise, and what have the Yankees... You think the Yankees have enjoyed that trade? No, look at the Yankees now. That's the thing. That's what they, they got. So I just, I think, it's, and it's such a weird spot... And the way I think about things and then communicate them, it, it doesn't necessarily jive with the greater populace. And I don't know. Like, I, I, so I'm, I might become even more unpopular for the next four months. I'm looking forward to it. Because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, I think the right thing to do would be actually trade, trade Goldschmidt and Arnato. Right. But you can't do that if you just told the fan base that we're going to return to... Yeah. And he's already couched. We need three pitchers. Now it's kind of been couched. He's already kind of hedged his bet. Yeah. Him. So it's, uh, it's quite a spot for the organization. All right, Jackson. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, we just kind of potpourri. Yeah, like good, good questions. I mean, they just there wasn't one where I go, I can't wait to get into this one. Right. Here we go. So let's see if we can get one of those. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to the great James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency online at carltoninsurance.net. My insurance agent for being a sponsor of this podcast from the very beginning. Thank you to Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling, official HVAC provider of TMA and the Tim McKernan Show podcast. Get that furnace tuned up. Now is the time. Thank you to Jamie Burkhardt, Clayton Patterson, Peter Munganast of Munganast St. Louis Acura at Alton Toyota, online at stlouisacura.com and altontoyota.com. And thank you to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been QFTA on the Tim McKernan Show podcast.